You're listening to Policy Currents, a weekly podcast from the RAND Corporation. I'm Emily Ashenfelter. And I'm Deanna Lee. Every Friday, we bring you new insights from RAND's latest research and commentary. It's June 16th. Even as the war rages on, it's not too early to start planning for reconstruction in Ukraine, which could be the largest rebuilding effort in modern history. In a new report, RAND researchers draw insights from previous post-war and post-natural disaster reform and reconstruction efforts to help inform decision-making. The most valuable lessons they found could be drawn from the truly transformative reconstruction in Western Europe following World War II, Central and Eastern Europe following the Cold War, and the Western Balkans following the wars in the former Yugoslavia. In all of these cases, the United States provided seed money and security, and the Europeans provided the bulk of the funding and advanced the process of European integration. Therefore, the authors conclude that Ukraine's reconstruction will be most successful as a U.S.-European partnership where Ukraine sets the priorities, the United States leads on security assistance, and the European Union leads on reform and economic assistance. The authors also highlight other key elements of Ukraine's reconstruction. Post-war security arrangements, for example, will be crucial not only to help encourage international trade and investment, but also to deter against future attacks. Success will also depend on a variety of financing sources, including foreign aid, private financing, and Ukraine's own resources. And, as Reconstruction begins, the sequencing of basic tasks such as rubble clearance, building shelters and schools, and providing basic medical care will be essential to facilitating the return home of Ukraine's people, more than one-third of which have been displaced. Finally, the authors note that public support for a long-term U.S. commitment to Ukraine cannot be taken for granted. They recommend a bipartisan effort to explain why rebuilding Ukraine is in the interest of the United States and the West. Here's how Charlie Reese, a RAND senior fellow and co-author of the report, put it, quote, Ultimately, the goal of a secure, economically prosperous Ukraine that is fully integrated into European institutions will be a capstone achievement, beneficial on both sides of the Atlantic, and a boon for global security and Western democracy. Last week, large parts of Central and Eastern North America were shrouded in acrid brown-yellow skies caused by wildfire smoke a familiar experience for those who live on the West Coast. According to Jay Bologna of the Party Ran Graduate School, we aren't helpless against increasing wildfires and smoke. The problem will, of course, require long-term changes, what Bologna calls the, quote, slow, hard work of improving land management and transitioning to carbon-free energy. But there are also immediate actions that could help. One of the most pressing needs is helping fire management authorities recruit and retain personnel. Both Canada and the U.S. primarily treat wildland firefighters as seasonal workers. But fires are nearly a year-round threat, and managing the wildlands to prevent them is a full-time job. When combined with low pay and other career challenges, seasonal hiring means both countries end up short on the firefighters needed every year. 
Our fire management systems aren't just short of people. The federal fleet of firefighting aircraft in the U.S. is less than half the size it was 20 years ago. Most of these aircraft are privately owned and contracted for government use. But the lengths of those contracts are so short that aviation operators can't economically justify expanding their fleets. This issue could be addressed with budget increases and contract tweaks. To be sure, near-term changes to bolster personnel and budgets aren't a solution to the wildfire problem, but they can buy some time, Bologna says. Every year we wait to make them adds to the number of days we all spend under smoke. Beginning around 2000, the world began transitioning from a modern industrial age to a historical period that Rand researchers call neo-medievalism. What exactly is neo-medievalism? According to our experts, it's an era characterized by weakening nations, fragmenting societies, imbalanced economies, pervasive threats, and informalized warfare. Understanding the rise of this era provides a starting point for making sense of the U.S.-China rivalry, which is unlike any other over the past two centuries. A new RAND report looks at how neo-medievalism will impact U.S.-China competition. For example, as nations around the world decline in political legitimacy and governance capacity, a key part of neo-medieval reality, it will create vulnerabilities and opportunities for competition, and create contingencies that defense planners need to account for. Further, in a neo-medieval world, the principal threat to states increasingly stems from internal rather than external sources, sources such as pandemics, crime, and political violence. Coping with these threats may be just as important as deterring a conventional military attack, and resources may need to be allocated accordingly. Many of these obstacles are vastly different from what the world has previously experienced in the 19th and 20th centuries. But lead author of the report, Timothy Heath, notes that the United States has adapted in the past to overcome immense international challenges. It will simply have to do so again in order to succeed in an era of neo-medievalism. After COVID-19 hit, some states passed legislation that expanded telehealth. A new RAND study shows that some of these pandemic-era policies were associated with an increase in virtual mental health services. However, disparities in access to mental health care have persisted even as telehealth expanded during the pandemic. In digging into the findings, we'll start with the good news. The study found that the percentage of mental health treatment facilities offering telehealth more than doubled during the period of April 2019 through September 2022, jumping from 39% up to 88%. However, the growth of telehealth was lower among mental health facilities in counties with the greatest proportion of Black residents. Mental health facilities in counties with more than 20% Black residents were 42% less likely to offer telehealth than counties that had 5% or fewer Black residents. So, while some telehealth expansion policies did help to increase the availability of virtual mental health services, it's clear that more effort, local targeted legislation, for example, is needed to address disparities and make sure all groups have equal access to care. 
Social media has a content problem. It's not the content itself, although the list of online toxic material from misinformation and propaganda to conspiracy theories and hate speech is long. The real problem is the sheer volume of this content. More than any group of humans, even with significant assistance from algorithms, can review. Thus, the problem tech companies face when assessing the risk of toxic content on social media platforms is how to go about identifying what presents too much risk, and what is a generally acceptable level of risk. Fortunately, these questions aren't new. Rand's James Marone explains that the U.S. has been here before, just in a different sector. Leading up to the 2008 financial crisis, Wall Street foreshadowed the tech sector in several ways, most of all in its increasing reliance on algorithms. Whereas social media companies use algorithms to assist humans in content moderation and to figure out whether an account is a bot, financial firms were using them, and still do, to calculate portfolio risk. History proved time and time again that such self-regulation was insufficient to mitigate financial risks. So why would it work for tech? Instead of trusting in self-regulation on social media platforms, Marone says the United States could use its regulation of Wall Street after 2008, the Dodd-Frank Act, as a roadmap for regulating tech. A tech version of Dodd-Frank would mandate social media platforms be monitored by a regulatory oversight body. This approach would improve transparency and provide flexibility for the future. It would also force society to, quote, accept what is feasible rather than what is ideal when it comes to managing the ever-present and ever-evolving risk of toxic content online. That's it for today's episode. You can learn more about the topics we discussed in the show notes at rand.org slash podcast. We'll see you next week. RAND is a nonprofit institution that helps improve policy and decision making through research and analysis.